Welcome to the Geek Therapy Podcast. My name is Josue Cardona, and today we're going to talk about board games in therapy. I've used board games a lot in therapy, sometimes just because it's all that was available at a place that I was working at. Um, other jobs I've had, I had to move around to see different clients, and it was something that was really easy to carry. And I think a lot of um, people use games and therapy in different ways. So today we're going to talk about that with Woody Harris. He is a licensed professional counselor in the Atlanta area. And we've talked about this in the past, um, him and I, and I'm really excited to have this conversation. So, Woody, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Josue. I'm really excited. This is something I've been wanting to talk about for a while. And uh, while I don't have all the answers, I, I hope to sort of spark some energy from some other people some creativity. Are you in the same boat as I am that uh, at different points in your career you've had to, I mean, you've, you've found them available, easily accessible, and, and, and it just seems like a really good idea <laughs> to work with kids and, and people of different ages. That was my experience. What, what, what are your reasons for using games? Well, it is such an easy way. To, I mean, most people have experience with board games, and I've been a gamer almost all my life. I mean, I can remember being eight years old and being excited about games. And that was back when Payday and Monopoly were the big things. I have found that when I am engaging with a client, when I'm getting to know them, one of the best ways to engage with them is to to do it over a board game. Whether it's, I mean, it can be a card game like Uno or something, but I mean, it, it it's very simple. People understand how to play the game and and it, it lets go some defenses because, you know, when you're when you're in the midst of back and forth conversation with somebody who really doesn't want to be psychoanalyzed in the first place, uh, they're not as open to talking. But if you bring something that's real natural in, like a board game or, you know, it's a play therapy format, then you can get a lot more dialogue going and there's a lot more sense of ease and comfort with, with the interaction, I think. There's an episode of, of The Office, of the American version of The Office, where Toby is trying to get Michael to talk and he just brings out some cards and Michael doesn't want to talk to him at first, but then by the end of it, he's telling him, all about how he feels and all about his problems over a game of cards. And I, I've always thought that there was like a perfect representation of, of, of some of the ways that we can use car, um, not only cards, but just games and therapy. That's excellent. I had, I had no idea. I've never really paid attention to either version of The Office. Oh, they're, they're pretty good. But it's, it's such a good scene to <laughs> just illustrate um, that, that idea that you were just talking about. Sometimes even just for rapport building, like people don't want to be in therapy sometimes. Right. Especially with the client. I mean, I work with adolescents that are generally in the foster care system. They are not interested in, you know, going back and observing their feelings or, or talking about their traumas or anything like that, especially not when they first meet me. If they're adolescents, you're not the first therapist that they've seen. Oh, no, definitely not. In fact, they're already just saturated with, tell me how you feel. They don't care about that at all. They're, they're completely not in, you know, they're not engaged in that process. They want someone who will who'll sit with they want someone they can trust and that's what is missing in their lives already. So if you're gonna start by digging into their feelings, they're not gonna talk about stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And and I know that's the way it worked for me a lot. It was you know, they would sit down, you're just another therapist, another social worker. And, exactly. And playing games was, was a really, really good way to, you know, just, just start building that relationship at the beginning. Exactly. I mean, and then I can't say how much good Uno has done me in therapy. I know. I always have a, a deck of Uno cards with me. Always. <laughs> the best therapists I hear from, they always have a deck of Uno cards with them. And, you know, and, and to talk specifically about Uno, it's one of those games where there's so much you can do with it because I don't know why, but all kids seem to know how to play Uno. 
Although a lot of times they have different rules. So even that can come into it, you know, where you see different kids fighting over different rules and you can address those kind of feelings, just all sorts of stuff. I, I don't know. I've had Uno be useful in so many different scenarios. It's, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, and it's a simple little game. It doesn't require a lot of cognitive activity to play Uno. Now, I, I will say I've played Uno with some kids who'd never played Uno before, and they were very excited to learn how to play. But there's so much, even in that first game, there's so much that goes on. This is an assessment time because you're, you're getting to know the person across from you. You're getting to know how they react to following rules, how they react to rules that they don't think are fair. And, you know, you're getting, this is kind of a microcosmic moment of how they're going to interact in a social situation. And as much as you can take that apart and use that, that's going to be really helpful to make sure that you're connecting with a child. Uno has been really good. Uh, some other games that I've used, I use a lot of card games because card games, uh, they're simple. And you want to use simple games, especially when you're first starting out. In fact, I would say that most of the time, Uno is my starter game. Like that's that's the way I do things. Sometimes I'll use a therapeutic game like the Ungame, which I think is a really great game uh, for sort of getting into therapeutic issues. But that requires somebody who's really willing to talk and willing to open up a little bit, um, and it also quite requires some uh, information about yourself. Your own confidentiality is being used in that situation. So, what is the Ungame exactly? Okay, so the Ungame is a therapeutic game. Uh, it was created. Um, let me see. I've got a copy right here. Um, it's by a group called Talakar Artist Play. Uh, but they have put together a series of games called Ungame. Some of them are for different age groups. But this is really this is a simple thing. It's just a set of questions in card form, and you each have questions in front of you, and you ask the other person questions. But some reason, for some reason, when people have a card that has a question on it, as opposed to being grilled by somebody across from them, they're more likely to answer the question themselves. Hmm. So I remember I talked to one therapist friend of mine who there wasn't a card in here for some of the things that her client was dealing with. So she just made up questions like, um, you know, uh, things like, what did it feel like to steal that one thing? Or when was the first time you threatened someone? All that stuff she just turned into a card. And this kid, where he wouldn't have answered her directly before, he was very happy to answer her in, you know, when the card was in front of him and he was just answering the question. So games, games take us away from feeling i don't know uh interrogated i guess even but even a game like that where there are so so a game like the end games that you are actually asking the other person i guess you're taking turns right so you would take a card and we'll have a question you'd ask the other person yeah yeah and then they would ask you something like they would ask you let's see here's one of the more uh what sort of things embarrass you and as the therapist on the other end answering that question you know i could be kind of plastic about it and surface about it and not give them a real answer but then they're gonna they're gonna sense i'm not being authentic so i've just decided that in that situation i don't mind giving uh information about myself as long as i know that it's going to be helpful in fostering a a trusting relationship between myself and the client and very often i've found that when i'm describing myself that way when i'm giving information about myself that opens them up to to give more information about themselves so I have, um, I have, I think I've brought it up on the show before. I, I have issues with games that are designed specifically for therapy. Yes. Because, because of the idea that, that they're, I mean, we're calling them games, but is, is the ungame fun, right? Because I always associate games with being fun. 
so how do you how do you feel about the the idea that we're talking about games um and and sometimes something like the end game it doesn't sound fun to me i've never really <laughs> i've never really used it so i wonder how much fun it is for 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 a client you know or or are they you know are they aware they know that it's not really a game they know we're doing something else maybe they know i'm i'm equally against the the concept of therapeutic games i think there's some really terrible therapeutic games out there written by adults who think they know what they're talking about when it comes to anger management and things like that but not giving the child a real chance to sort of express themselves but the end game it has some serious moments and it has some not so serious moments like i just pulled one out it says talk about your favorite music group and why you like that's fodder for conversation that's that's rapport building you're starting to so there's serious questions and there's not so serious questions and i always make it clear to my clients when i'm starting with them using the end game that uh you can refuse any question and i will not have any problem with it whatsoever you just have to give me a reason for refusing the question so it, it's a conversation starter. It's not the sense of what I'm talking about generally when I'm talking about using board games in therapy, though. The fact is there's a there's a whole range of board games out there that aren't at your local Target. They're not at Walmart. They're hobby games, but they, they do a great job of sort of creating alternative realities in which a person can sort of throw themselves and that in and of itself can be very therapeutic because you're no longer talking about the issues at hand. You are abstracting from everything that's going on. You, you know, you don't have to talk about conflict in your home when you're dealing with conflict on a board game. And then you can later on say, well, what, you know, you face this conflict in the board game like this. How do you do that in real life? And it becomes a, a, a way of communicating about conflict in general without being blaming and that's one of the tricks, I think, is not being blaming towards the person for their their behavior problems or their attitudes or whatever it might be. Yeah, it definitely provides, uh, like I said, like a, a safe way to to touch a lot of these subjects. Again, my the problem I always had is that sometimes I think, okay, so something like I remember playing a game called Emotional Bingo. Okay. And for really, really little kids, it was helpful to kind of get them to, you know, identify their feelings. Mm-hmm. But I always thought, okay, so it's something that we're using here in therapy. Is this something that the they would ask their parents to go out and buy for them? Is this something that they would go out and do do later? And and I think that that's my issue with with a lot of the games. It's just that they th- those again those therapeutic games, which now I I, I almost completely avoid. Um, although I I'd, I'd love to. I'm still interested in the concept, and I think I think there's a lot of potential there. I've just never had great experiences with a lot of them. But something like you know ha- helping it structure the or change the structure of the therapy session, right? So it does bring spontaneity. It does bring random questions, like you know maybe there are some goofy, silly questions. Maybe there are some fun questions. So I can I can see the potential, and and just in general, what we're talking about is is doing our the job that we need to do, right? Doing therapy, doing counseling. But changing things up a bit so to keep the kids engaged. Exactly. Um, I was just imagining the whole idea of a, a kid going, Mommy, Mommy, can we go home and get the Carthasis expansion or something like that? From... <laughs> <laughs> I want exactly. to explore my anger, Mommy. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, and that's, that's where I always come to it from. Like, you know, they, they, they know that this is, this is the game we would only play here. They would never want to play that with anybody else. I think, anyway, that's the feeling that, that I get. I think that's probably true, but I, I was also thinking about this, and I hadn't thought about this before, the idea that maybe it's important to have something in the in the therapy room that you wouldn't do in the social sphere just because you want the therapy room to have a different sort of 
environment to it, a different sort of feel to it than a normal social interaction. That's been one of the challenges of using board games in therapy because I, you know, since I'm a game player, that means that sometimes I'm likely to get involved in the game in such a way that it's no longer a therapeutic game, but it's now a game. And that's a danger. But that's a danger I'm willing to, I'm willing to do something with because I really think that this has been helpful in terms of what, what I've been doing with my kids that I'm working with. Not that every kid works with board games, but it at least offers a new, a new venue to discuss problems. Yeah, I've I've had parents ask me, you know, wait a minute. So you're just playing video games with my <laughs> with my kid uh, throughout the whole session, you know? And it's it's hard because to to explain that there are it's very intentional what you're doing, right? Yeah, there is that possibility that maybe maybe you're having fun too, and we're all just having fun. But then maybe maybe that's okay at the beginning when you're just trying to to reestablish that rapport and mm-hmm. and just you know unwind and get into the mood for 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 the therapy session or to unwind towards the end you know i mean depending on the age group i've done it in different ways but sometimes yep. you are doing it completely intentionally to try to address very real issues in in another language you know in the language of the game that's true so that's a, that's a good point how often do you get lost in in <laughs> in the games at least I, you know what actually i know that in in board games it's so hard within just one hour a lot of the board games it's hard to really just play a full game oh yeah especially hobby games but i know for a fact that when i go into a therapy situation if i'm going to take a board game into that situation i have to know what the therapeutic interventions are within the game and how i can use the game for therapy because if i what i've learned is if i just take one as this is an experimental session and I'm going to see what happens, ultimately I'm more likely to be pulled away from the therapeutic nature of the game. And that means we're just two people playing a board game and we're not doing therapy anymore. And that's not what I want, and that's not what I want the parents to think is going on. You know, I, If they ask me, you know, why were you playing this game with my child? Well, uh, <laughs> I don't want to be there where I'm just guessing you know, what it was that I, I meant to do. There's a game, uh, people may have seen this on the, uh, the YouTube channel uh, for Geek and Sundry, which is uh, the tabletop show with Will Wheaton, and he played a game called Suro. Um, this is a game in which you are in, uh, your player is a dragon and you're flying around the board and you're trying to avoid the other person while you're trying to make sure that you keep on the board as long as you can. It's really hard to explain from a, an aural sense, but... Basically, you're laying down tiles, and those tiles move your dragon, and you're trying to avoid the other moving dragons on the board. But this has turned out to be a great game to uh, examine thinking ahead, which, of course, most of our kids don't do a lot of thinking ahead. And it's a little less complex than chess, which is chess is very well researched as a game to be used in building cognitive skills and thinking ahead. But sometimes you need something a little smaller than that, because not every kid is going to be a chess champion or know how to how to have the difference in the knight and the rook and, you know, different things like that. So with a game like Suro, I've noticed that I can use that with kids to develop more awareness about what they're doing. In fact, I don't know if you've seen this game. Have you seen this game? No, I haven't seen that episode. Okay. No, and I haven't seen the game, no. Well, they have cards in their hand. They have tiles in their hand, and they have to choose what they're going to put down. So what I do is I tell them, okay, you can't test it. You have to think about it in your mind what's going to happen when you put down that tile. Hmm. So I'm constantly sort of challenging them to to do better with it. And then when they don't do better with it, we talk about, well, why Why did you make this choice? And what, what was this choice all about? So there's there's so much. This is such a wide-ranging thing. This is a, 
been an area of study for me for the past year, and uh, now I'm totally engaged in this idea that I'm going to find out how we can best use board games in therapy. I, I worked at one place and I suggested that I would give these workshops on helping kids use, um, on helping all of the, the, the social workers and, and all the counselors work with what the kids had at their homes, for example, because we were doing in-home therapy at the time. Right, right. And because a lot of people, they have no idea um, how to take advantage of, of, of a game, for example. And I think we brought up, it's funny because we brought up a bunch of uh, cautions, right? Like, yeah, you need to be careful that you don't get lost in the game. That mm-hmm. it's not only fun, that you remember that it is therapeutic, that there is a purpose to it, why are you using it, and then the different ways to use um, different games. And I think I agree, it is it is pretty complicated. But that that game, Cyril, sounds really, really, really interesting. And just as you were explaining the concept of the game was something that, um, before you even explained how you use it in particular, I already started getting ideas. Okay. What were some of your ideas? So you said that you were avoiding things, mm-hmm. right? That you had to play and you were avoiding things around you. Not so much a strategy aspect, but more the metaphor of the game. Mm-hmm. I started I started thinking about how I could use that, you know? And, um, and not having seen the game, because I haven't seen um, the actual game, I started thinking about kids who are dealing with things, um, you know, avoidance behaviors and things like that, and mm-hmm. how I could use that as a metaphor within within the session. And... You know, that, that type of thing and the way you're using it doesn't come in the instruction booklet for Zero. <laughs> no, it doesn't. That, yeah. <laughs> that's, there needs to be a whole there needs to be a whole group of people researching and working with this. I have tried to do some academic searches, you know, trying to find out what has any research been done really on video or on board games. And not as much as you'd think. And when it has been done, it's been done on games like Sorry and I didn't see anything on Uno, but that you know, it's a preliminary search. But the fact is that most of the literature I see are those board games that are built just around therapy, like, uh, you know, uh, taking the girl out of anger and things like that. Those are specifically geared towards specific issues, but they, you know, I just have the feeling that children can see through our tricks. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, I mean, and, and that's uh, the contrast to what you were saying before about how we, we, we need to be intentional, right? We need to know that we're bringing them in. Um, and we want it to be different than, than, we want it to be a unique experience, right? Therapy is therapy. So maybe it's okay to have something that's not the same as the outside. But at the same time, like, they're, they see that you just brought a really silly looking game mm-hmm. with, that's not like going like any, it's unlike any other game they've ever played before. And it's not fun. <laughs> <laughs> And you're making them talk about their feelings, right? And talk about things that are uncomfortable. Like, I don't, yeah, I mean, it is, it is, oh, it's tough. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I mean, you're, a lot of times I, what I see in therapy books, especially when you're dealing with kids, and that's what I do mostly, uh, I see things about, you know, this sort of, I'm going to call it Shaktipat therapy. I don't know if you've heard of Shaktipat before, but uh, uh, Swami Muktananda was uh, a very well-known uh like a meditator and guru type person. And he did what was called Shaktipat. The idea was that at a certain time in his conversation with you, he would do some physical manipulation of you. And as a result, you would experience a momentary or longer lasting enlightenment. So people come to therapy and they expect that the therapists are going to use these quick tricks. Like I'm going to turn this knob and suddenly all your feelings are going to come out. And that's what those board games are intended to do. They're intended to be this quick fix. Let's get into this. And hopefully you've developed the rapport and the angle with the child that they're going to tolerate this intrusion into their privacy. 
But when you pick a game that where it's going to sort of encourage a more organic way of talking about things, that you just get rid of that whole thing at that point. Now you're in more of an th- authentic conversation, even if you're putting something in there like, well, you know, when was the last time you lost a game and what was that like for you? Even something as simple as that, you're just you're just attaching a conversation to the game. I think that's safer for children. Yeah, I like the way you put that. It it does seem like a lot of these games are just meant to, you know, hit a button, you know, push buttons in in our clients and and yeah, they can see through that absolutely. Yeah. There's another level that we haven't talked about yet and that is the uh use of games in family therapy. Mm-hmm. Now yep. to to begin with, families that I meet with usually are not the kind of families who have a game night in the first place. So we're already introducing this idea of you guys can have fun together and you don't have to be hateful all the time. Um but then the next thing is you come along with a game that is a um a cooperative game, which I never realized how many cooperative games were out there, but there are so many. Um, you come in with something like that and that forces an internal conversation between the the clients and their family or, you know, the whole family, if you're looking at the family as a whole. And now you've got something to show that, you know, I noticed there you wouldn't accept your, your child's idea about going and doing this particular thing you saw that as a weakness, and you communicated that to your child. So what was that all about? So you get a chance to sort of you see this this area of interaction in a different way, and you can talk about it abstractly. And I think that's the key point to using board games is that we are abstracting from the real issue. And abstracting means we're not hitting the issue head on. We're coming around the corner. We're, we're you know, it, it's a little more covert. It's a little more hidden. But at the same time, it's comfortable. So we're storming the castle, but we're doing it, you know, we're going underneath the castle, basically. To, to be clear, uh, so cooperative games, that means that instead of being adversarial, like most of the games that we, we know about, um, where everybody's playing for themselves. Everybody's right. trying to win the game individually. But then there are games, cooperative games, my favorite type of games, uh, yeah. where you're all you're either all working together or working in teams to either. And sometimes uh, I guess the, the ones we'll probably talk about later are where everybody that's on the board is playing against the, the game itself. Exactly. Right? So either everybody wins or everybody loses. So we're all working together and yeah, with family, uh, with family therapy, that's one of my favorite uh, type of games to play because you know, these are families that may be fighting all the time. They don't do anything together. They they never work together to achieve any common goal. And then you have them here, whether it's protecting a castle, beating dragons, escaping zombies, whatever it is, they're, they're working together. And then afterwards, you can kind of go back to that. And like you said, you're not doing it directly, but then you can, in the game, they were all playing together. And then afterwards, you can talk about how they all work together as a group, something that maybe they hadn't done outside of the game in a long time. Exactly, and that's something that I think games allow, is they allow you to highlight the strengths of your clients. You can say, well, wow, you really you know, you know, really worked hard on this particular thing, and you guys worked together, and this happened. That's When, when families realize that, that's fantastic. I, I've had several families that I've used. There's a board game called Forbidden Island. I feel like I'm a walking advertisement for Tabletop, because they played this on Tabletop also. But in Forbidden Island, uh, you're basically all working together, to retrieve artifacts before the island sinks so that you can get off the island in your helicopter and and get back, you know, to a safe place. But for now, you're in the, you're on this unsafe ground that's constantly sinking and you're having to save one another and you're having to work for getting these artifacts. 
And I have seen families light up in the process of doing this. I have seen families for once in their lives listen to their children's ideas and take those ideas and run with them and succeed. And that is a fantastic situation because you come to the end of the session, you're starting to process what's going on. And they're like, they're saying to their child, maybe for the first time, you know, you did a really good job there. I really appreciated the way you thought about this. Um, or even the child is realizing, you know, my parents have paid attention to me for a change. And that's, I mean, the children that I work with, they're all experiencing trauma. They're all experiencing distance from their parents. And anything that brings them together with their family is a plus in my book. And even better than maybe, I mean, there's, I think it's great if you can watch a movie together, watch a TV show together, but this is so interactive. Exactly. Know? At every step, you're you're giving each other feedback. You're helping each other out. And yeah, I, I, I love the potential of, of cooperative games like this for family therapy. And there's so many of them and nobody uses them. So you mentioned Forbidden Island. You you've mentioned it to me a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. Um, are there are there any others that that you've used that you think um, work really well? One more recently that I used was a, a, a card game called Hanabi. Now this is a, a game that recently won uh, some accolades from uh, uh, the Spiel des Jahres, which is uh, one of Germany's preeminent awards that they give out to games that really uh, connect with families. Um, so to explain the game, basically you are holding cards, but you are holding them so that you can't see your cards. No one can see their own cards. They can only see the cards of other people. And then they have to give those other people simple clues about their cards. For instance, like you can say, this card is blue or these cards are blue. And your goal is that you're building up a solitaire style set of cards on the table. So you have to communicate with each other really strongly. You have to you know, you have to learn what each other means, the subtext of what you're saying, and things of that nature. And so I played this with this one family, and this family had already, this family was already my model family for, for dealing with using board games and therapy. But once they came to the end, this was the point that they started saying, you know, I never realized that I communicate this way to you, and I want to change the way that I communicate to you. Things like that, you just... I don't know where you're going to get that outside of some kind of interactive activity. You know, you're not going to get that from just straight process therapy, I don't think. Yeah, like it, it's so easy to get to that point where someone in the family says, see, this is what always happens. You never listen to me. Exactly. <laughs> and <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And you see it right here. Like, oh, really? How did that just happen? That just happened. <laughs> when he made that suggestion and you completely ignored it, why? Tell me about it. Tell me why. And exactly, you're talking about um, finding treasure on an island or, or saving somebody who's who's sinking and, and you say things that would be harder to say maybe um, exactly in process therapy and just regular talk therapy. Yeah, because once again, you've, you've, you've abstracted the conflict. The conflict is no longer out here in the universe. It's in this small board game universe. It's safe. We can talk yeah. about this conflict and we can later on, if we can talk about this conflict, we can later on get to talking about conflicts that are happening on a daily basis in our family. You know, we had the goal to clean the yard, and you didn't do this. That's, that's you know, you can compare that to what's going on in the game like Forbidden Island. Exactly. Or even, you know, between sessions, they may they may be able to reference the game again. Like, this is exactly what happened <laughs> the other day in therapy. That that would be perfect. <laughs> that would be the best. Yeah, yeah. So so what is your role um, in, in these family therapy sessions? Are you playing the game? Are no. you moderating it? No, I, I am moderating the game. I'm making sure the rules are being followed. And when the rules aren't followed, 
I'm making sure I call attention to that. You know, we just talked about this a moment ago. Why didn't you follow this rule right now? And then we have another chance for conversation about what are the reasons you don't follow rules when you don't follow rules. Now, one of the challenges, especially with a game like Forbidden Island, it's going to be most likely longer than a one-hour session. Insurance companies don't like more than one-hour sessions. So this is one of the reasons we need more research on this because I was thinking how perfect it would be to put together a curriculum that would say, okay, we're only going to use board games in therapy, and we're going to end therapy in this time, and this is going to be the results you're going to get. So we show to insurance companies, we take these board games into our kids, we play them with the kids and with the family, and then over the course of three months, we do better than we would have done with TFCBT or something like that. That would be ideal. <laughs> yeah, but it's so hard because... Do you have a particular structure? I know I don't. I don't actually have an idea where, okay, we're going to play, um, you know, for the first two sessions, we're going to do, we're going to play for 30 minutes each time, and then we're going to process. And then, you know, I mean, it varies completely. Oh, it Sometimes does. Sometimes the game, we, yeah, we stop the game halfway through, and then we start talking about something. Yep. Maybe some days we don't have to use a game. I usually have them as a, they are, they are go-to tools for me. I mean, you never know what's, what you're going to get, you know, when you start therapy. Uh, therapy session so do you have i think i think that's the hardest part about the research right it's do you how do you qualify that you know it was it was more effective when i just had this knowledge and went to the games whenever i needed them versus an actual um what would you call it an actual um process right where it's like okay step by step this many minutes of board games this many minutes of processing for eight weeks yeah, that that uh, this is really difficult because I'm not sure what the answer is in re- in this regard. You know, I don't. Sometimes I'll go into a household and I'm expecting to play the board game, but I don't go into my sessions expecting that I'm going to use board games in every session, or expecting that um, uh, that this is going to be the right thing. You know, we you and I have talked about this before. This is really all about you. You go where the client's at. You don't. You know, I can bring ideas. I can bring new ideas into the house. Like, I can bring a brand new fancy board game that you've never seen before, and you can get excited about it because I'm sharing something special with you. But if I see that the child, you know, is not responding to board games, then I have to go in a different direction. This is all about, this is all about being where, you know, being where our client is. That's the most important thing, whatever the client brings. And I can give examples. You know, I have, I have a kid that I recently uh, stopped seeing that, he wasn't interested in board games, but what he was really interested in was origami. So I had to do a bunch of research on how origami can help in therapy because I wanted to meet him where he was at. So that's the thing about the board games. You can't just bring these to anybody. So maybe it's it's more of a personal choice when it comes to setting it up for a client. You have to know, okay, this board game will meet this need and it will it will connect with the family or the child in this way. That makes a difference. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, speak their language. Speak what, what are they interested in. Exactly. Why, why would you disregard the, a client's... Um, if, if they're willing to work with you and they're willing to show you their origami, you're not going to tell them, no, I don't want to see your origami. Let's play Forbidden Island instead. <laughs> that would you seem know, like, That's not helpful. Yeah. <laughs> and in fact, in the case of this kid, we tried Forbidden Island and he just wasn't into it whatsoever. So I was like, okay, we need to find something that you're more interested in. Yeah can't force it on your clients either which right. is again one of those issues that i have with the with the therapy games yes it's like it's like yeah let's play emotional bingo Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> and and i asked your role in the family therapy sessions because 
sometimes we do family therapy, sometimes we have individual therapy. And I think we take on a completely different role in those games because we are playing. We are actually um, involved in, in the process. And and I know that um, the idea of cooperating with clients, I've had clients um, where at first they want to play against you, but sometimes they want to play with you. Mm-hmm. And it means so much to me if, if a client tells me, can we be on the same team? Like, I know we're we're getting somewhere and I know we're building rapport if we get to a point like that. Or if they really don't like me and they want to play against me and change the rules every time, then, you know, I, I get what they're saying without them saying, I don't like you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That, that's, that's, I mean, if, if that's a way of showing rapport, you're right. And if they say something like that, you know you've got them. Because I forget what article it is, but it's something like 75% of therapy is rapport building. And with games, there's, you know... It's so different when a kid tells you, you know, I uh, I want to play with Legos or I want to play this game on my own. Mm-hmm. And you can just sit right there to do you want to play with me? Do you want to I want to show you what I just built or I want to I want if you and me do this together, we can do it faster or we can beat the bad guys. Those are things that that's the language that they're talking about. Right. If you there's so much that you can that you can gather from from the language of the game and the whole process of playing. It's so it's so. So good. (laughs) Exactly. And if parents, I mean, I I do in-home therapy, which means that a lot of times I'm not as confidential as I'd like to be. But if parents see me interacting with their child in a way that's positive, I've had parents tell me, you know, just watching you with my child made me want to be more interactive and more positive with my child. That's that's a win scenario also. Yeah, actually, uh, let's explain that, right? When you mean, um, when you say not confidential as you want to be, I mean, I think, I think you mean, and I've been through this too. It's like you're, you're at somebody's home. So you're playing in the living room and yes. mom is in the kitchen or something. So she can kind of see and hear. It's not like you're in a, in a room all by yourselves. Right. Or they're passing by. And that's, you know, this is not the same as in, in office therapy. Unfortunately, you don't have the kind of therapeutic container and it's hard to make it as safe as possible in that situation. Uh, but this is part of core therapy work, at least here in Georgia, where you go into people's homes and you are, you know, you're stuck in the environment that you're in. So you have to make the best of it. Um, and in that situation, you know, it just so happens that the father walked through our our session every so often because he had to get to the other side of the house. He wasn't purposely paying attention, but he could see the kind of care I was taking in, in meeting with his child. And he was so impressed with that that later on he said, you know, you taught me to be more patient with my son. Wow. That yeah. was, you know, and suddenly confidentiality doesn't matter as much anymore because I've strengthened the bond between the father and his son. It's it's a it's a hard edge. I mean, you don't want non-confidentiality. You don't want a sense of unsafety, but yeah, that happens. Um, yeah, and and I th- I think that you know, and I've I've done this type of work too, where where it's in home, and there's a lot about it that is that is difficult. Right. And it is they're very different from what most people think therapy is. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's there is this advantage to I mean, sometimes kids are more uncomfortable at home than comfortable, but sometimes they're they're they are comfortable. There's a spot where they like, you know, they, they feel safe um, and their favorite things are there. Yeah. And I think that by by integrating more games and games in particular, something that it, it feels safe, is comfortable, is fun. I think it brings some of the the all of the positive things from being able to go in home that we, you know, all the positive things we can use from going in home and kind of bring that into any therapy session. That's the way I see it. That's the way I always try to, to look at it. It's like you, you haven't just entered my world. You know, I want you to bring your world here too. 
right into the therapy session i mean it should be a meshing uh you know even though it's a, a temporary and doomed relationship you're not going to continue this relationship beyond therapy most of the time this this meshing of worlds i think you're, you're hit it right on the head you've really got to be you've got to be present and on the same platform as the client that you're working with and that's you know bringing play therapy in that's part of that is you know you're divorcing from reality for a little bit it's not a bad thing it's, yeah. it's really helpful and really informative to the therapy process I did have a family that I worked with uh, that uh, I used board games as one of the primary modalities of our sessions with the child. And as a result, uh, suddenly now I find that the child is in my social sphere playing games at the same place I play games. (laughs) (laughs) But this this has been so effective for this family. This family starts to play game nights now, and they've been more involved in working with with one another more it's it's this has been one of my best test families for for playing games yeah i mean and that's that's actually a really great story how many times do you do we encourage clients to um follow their their what what they like right or do, or do what they like to do or do it more socially mm-hmm. like oh i really like this game i wish i had more people to play with oh well there's these places you can go and you can do this and then to see a a client or, or a whole family thrive so much that they actually start um it becomes part of their part of their routine right part of their life mm-hmm. um yeah it just so happens that you know it, it <laughs> in a and this happens to all of us you you see your clients around because <laughs> yeah you're all in the same geographic location but that's that's actually pretty cool i mean we don't have to get into the to all the ethics and things like that no about certainly like not that, but, but i mean especially yeah. in the geek therapy realm you know if we're talking mm-hmm. about using our yep. passions for therapy we are almost definitely guaranteed to see our clients in public situations and yeah, oh, yeah. then we've got to deal with that ethical situation but hopefully most people out there know how to deal with that and your example is the equivalent of when clients ask me to be friends on Xbox Live or PlayStation Network and they want to play with me online. And I've had to tell them um, there's actually, you know, games like uh, MMOs where hundreds, thousands of people are in the same location. Yeah. And, you know, I said, well, yeah, it's possible we'll see each other, you know. <laughs> but you don't make an effort to to make sure that that happens. Yeah. And that's the important thing. Exactly. And I guess I guess in a MMO it's probably the same as in person. You know, you don't speak to the client until they speak to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We yeah. did just kill a dragon together, but if you don't say a word to me, I'm not going to say a word to you. <laughs> Although in an MMO, I can fly away. <laughs> well, and you can also have an alias, so you don't have to be as obvious. I can. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, so let's let's geek out on board games for a second. Okay. You've opened my eyes to board games. You know, um. I, I'm familiar with board games. I've always played board games, but never, like you mentioned, hobby games. Mm-hmm. There are games that come out all the time. I mean, there are constantly games. There are awards for games. There are so many amazing games that nobody, that they don't sell at toy stores, that they don't sell at Target. Exactly. And, oh man, I've, I've discovered so many great games. And, but I'm not, I'm not into the, um, board gaming atmosphere as much as, as you are. You, you just mentioned you're in a gaming group. Um, so what kind of what can you tell us about board games that people probably don't know? Who that that I I think I can tell a lot. It's just hard to know what to say. One thing I can say is that I uh, I came across this idea of using board games in therapy when I started realizing that board games themselves were giving me a reflection back of myself. 
and that's hard to explain. I, there's a, a style of game called worker placement. In, in worker placement, uh, basically you have a limited number of workers, and those workers have a limited number of spaces that they can go to uh, each turn. So there's a, there's a limit. You know, you're getting a set of choices, and there's a limit to your choices. And any choice you make closes out the set of choices. That's another set of choices. Does that make sense so far? Not really, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's try again. Yeah. <laughs> in, a, in a worker placement, you have characters. They are meeples, usually. And these, there are a limited number of spaces they can go to work on the board. And so each place you put your character, you're going to work in a specific area. You know, you're going to work to make jewelry or you're going to work to build a hut. Um, I'm thinking particularly of a game called Bora Bora right now. Uh, you're going to work to make the gods happy. But every time you put your worker there, you've suddenly limited your options for that worker. And you've limited your options as a player because now somebody else can't take that space, number one. And number two, that person hasn't taken a different space to work on a different set of goals. Does this make sense so far? Yep, okay. now, now I'm following you. <laughs> okay, so what I learned about myself in this game is when presented with a number of options at one time, there I freeze up. And there's actually a name for this in the gaming community. It's called analysis paralysis. But huh. that is very easily extrapolated to our, you know, this is we're, what we're dealing with here is how we respond to a set of choices. You know, if you go to the grocery store and there's a thousand different bottles of ketchup on the, on the, on the shelf and you sit there trying to figure out, well, what am I going to do? You're, you're already involved in analysis paralysis at that point. But we make that same problem with all the goals in our lives. We get, you know, I have this I want to do, 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 and I have limited time to do it all in, and I have a limited number of workers to do it all in. One of these things is going to have to drop off my radar. So worker placement games such as Bora Bora and things of that nature have kind of shown me, okay, this is a limited reflection of how I deal with choice. And if that's true, if I can recognize that in myself, then it must be true that it's, it's therapeutic for most gamers to sit there and work on a strategy within a game. So I haven't talked to my gamer friends about this yet, and I hope to, to create some more dialogue in the future, but I have the feeling that just being involved in these board game structures where you're you're being forced to to make cognitive decisions that you wouldn't really catch on such a an intense basis in other realms of your life is reflecting something of us back to us you are the quintessential geek therapist <laughs> you just you just you just took you just took um board games and took it to another level right it, that's exactly that's exactly the the power of of being into board games, understanding them, knowing them, relating to them, and then seeing those metaphors, seeing the the potential for our clients to be able to use them in just, again, just to see things differently, to, to be able to explain it in that game. You went through that experience, so you understand that other people can have that experience too. So when you play a game with a client, you may have, you know, you can see these things that maybe they don't see themselves and you can help them, again, talk about it from a different perspective. And and I'm sure that things come up that maybe you didn't expect, but you again you can make those connections because that's that's how your brain works. Definitely, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, if if I see myself changing on the basis of something that I do, then I know that it's probably going to have an impact on somebody else if they can engage in it. Yeah, you know, so that that's true for any number of realms in my life, which you know I, I'm 
interested in music therapy and, and all these different aspects of, of differing forms of geek therapy, basically. That's why um, when I talked to um, Natasha on the on the show, she she was telling me of how she used Magic the Gathering. Yes, I remember and, that. Yeah, and she has she's she's so into the game. She has such a a great understanding of the game that she can bring that game to other people and and then do amazing things with it because she sees all that potential and she sees the connections that people can make and she can. She can have people speak that language of the game and then bring that back to what they're going through in real life and vice versa. And it's it's amazing. You know, and I mean, that's a, that's another example of of board games, of tabletop therapy. Yeah, I, I, I there's probably a whole genre of therapy underneath the category of geek therapy. There is tabletop therapy and video game therapy. Absolutely. <laughs> yes, 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 there is. <laughs> any passion you can have, you can make a therapy and any passion a child has, you can make a therapy, I think. Yeah. What games are there out there that you you see that have a lot of potential? That maybe you even you haven't gotten the chance to use them, but but you've thought about it and you you know that eventually someday you'll have some use for a particular game, for a particular issue. Well, this is the hard challenge because the ones that I see that have the most potential also have the longest running time. Um, you know, economic games like Eclipse, which is a game in which you have to manage very limited resources and explore space. Um, that requires a lot of thought and a lot of cognitive, you know, you're playing around with ideas in your head. Uh, same with games like Terra Mystica. There are so many, uh, different games and, and they take, you know, two to three hours to play. So that kind of ruins the, the, the normal therapeutic session aspect of things. But therapy doesn't have to be just what we see it as in the office or in, you know, in practice. Therapy is going on when you're doing anything if it's if it's a positive benefit to you. So in that sense, I can see, you know, if I was to ever get, you know, three or four hour sets of time with a set of clients, maybe a group therapy session where, you know, it would work out that way. The number of games that are out there is so huge. If you have uh, if you or the listeners have not gone to the Board Game Geek website. It's overwhelming. It is. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. No. And and so many people are playing, and this is going through a renaissance right now. Just in this year alone, I think my wife and I have scheduled about five different board game cons, and that's never been the case before. That that that's it's it's proliferating everywhere right now. Yeah, um, I think you know. There's the you mentioned the um, tabletop by uh, from Will Wheaton on Geek and Sundry. Yeah. You know, there's a there's a show. <laughs> it's like a reality show on playing um, on playing board games, and and yeah, there's 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 tabletop fever now, and we are having all these conventions, and we can do that because there are so many different games and so many games coming out. Right, and then you have somebody like him with such high high geek cred who's coming out and saying, "Hey, there are great games out there, and you can check them out." And then you have like international board game geek day is I, I can't board game eh, tabletop day. That's what it is. International Tabletop Day coming up in the very near future in which the idea is that everybody all over the world gets together and plays games on that day. It's overwhelming right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is, it is. I mean, and and I don't mean to, I don't expect anybody to know everything about um, board games because, I mean, it's it's just not possible. No. So, so you know, that, that that's definitely not uh, the the question I was putting before. <laughs> um. 
but so I'm gonna I am actually gonna put you on the spot now. Okay. Um. So so there are games that take two or three hours to get the full experience, right? Yeah. So do you ever take a game, or 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 have you ever thought about taking particular games and just isolating certain parts of the experience or modifying the rules so that you can use them in therapy? Have I thought about it? Yes. Have I done it? No. <laughs> yeah, but and and that's okay, right? This is like the the exercise. I mean, there's so many games and so many there's so much content that I'm constantly um reviewing and there's no way to use it with 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 everything with clients, right? Right. Unless our clients were our guinea pigs. And and that's not that is definitely not happening. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. But when it's appropriate, you know, I I feel like I have all these ideas already set up. So so could you could you talk about any of those ideas you've had? Well, you know, the idea of, of uh, using a, a board game's pieces and some of its mechanics as a session, uh, as, a, as an intervention, I've only just recently started playing with that idea. and I haven't got a clear way of doing that yet. I just recognize that there are certain things that happen in a board game that if I could bring that into therapy, that, that could be helpful, like the worker placement mechanic or something like that. Um, the other side of things is bringing it more to a community focus where... And th- and this is something I've talked about with a good friend of mine who is running a, his own board game company, uh, is the idea of finding a community like uh, a senior citizen community or a group home community and going in with these longer games and allowing them to experience the full breadth of what it's like to play these games and then maybe having a 30-minute processing session after that. You know, and this is sort of a volunteer basis. You know, people are the idea is that it would be volunteer volunteer therapy and it'd be volunteering you know the kids would be volunteering to play or the 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 seniors would be you know any group of people that we go to but that that stirs a lot of energy in me because i think okay here is the venue in which i could actually do some good with this it may not be a paid situation but it is a way of giving people a better look at their own mental health or increasing their mental health and that's i mean outside of the job that's what i'm here for is to try to help people so in that sense, that's my my turn to thing that I'm gonna do next, which is to bring these longer board games into a situation where I can really exploit them for what they're worth. You know, this is perfect because I wanted to bring up the idea of so let's say all your clients are people who game, right? Right. That would be that'd be ideal. Like you become exactly you become the tabletop therapist, right? But you become eventually you become the tabletop therapist and. Um, it's not true right now, right? You're not a tabletop, you're not the tabletop therapist. So every client that you have doesn't come to you because of that. But let's say that it did, right? That, it's, that happens and then you could actually talk to clients about their experience with a different with a game. And since you understand that, you understand, you speak the language and they can tell you, you can ask them, so what was it like to play that game what what did you what 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 did you see about yourself what did the experience bring up etc um that's a lot of what i do now like i always want my clients to bring things that their experiences so we can process them like you said exactly but have you ever thought of the idea of prescribing right this is this is this is the way i like to talk about it's like it's a game prescription okay it's one of these concepts i really like that you you can tell a family okay so before next week's session I want you all to play this game, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you could issue it or if they have it or something like that. But then, and then they could, then when they come back, you can, again, you, they don't have the three hour game session with you there. Right. But then they can process it and talk about it and, and, and you could go over it 
during the session, right? During a, a one hour session. And, and that's a great idea. I love that idea. The problem is, at least with a lot of my clients, number one, they never knew about these games in the first place. And number two, some of these games are pretty expensive. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Because I've thought about this idea of how can I, how can I give them a game and, and sort of leave it there for them to experience on their own and then come back to later. That would be great. Uh, maybe I need to start a Kickstarter where people give other people games. <laughs> yeah, and or, or or maybe I mean I know we're just thinking out loud here, but um, something like like you know if you have a whole library, you could you could issue a game, you know, yeah, bring it back next week and let me know what happened. You'd have to build up uh, quite the library, and <laughs> that would be that would be pretty pricey. But um, but I could see a lot of potential in that. You know, I could too. because the in the the insight that they would get from your understanding of the game mm-hmm. and their experience would be really powerful. I think. Yeah, no, I I love this idea. Um, now there are places that are are cool enough to rent games that they don't exist in my town, but they are in other towns. Uh, you can borrow games, kind of like in a almost like a uh, Netflix sort of sense of things. And then bring them back as long as, you know, bring them back with all the pieces. I usually weigh them or something. If that situation existed, that would be perfect. I would need, you know, something like that here in town. But I know in other towns, like I know in Chicago this happens, and I know in some other towns they have board game rental companies. If you can find those, that that puts you in a perfect shape because you're going to pay, what, maybe 5 to $10 to rent this game for a few weeks for this family. I could do that, you know. I don't mind spending a little bit of my capital to make things work out for my clients. Yeah, well, you could build a library, right? I like this. I like it. <laughs> yeah, no, there's there's so many directions to go with this. It, it's been an incredibly exciting idea that I've been building for a while now. Um, I'm looking forward to researching and writing more about it, and I'd really love to get to the point where there's some academic work on it. But uh, that could be a little while down the way. Yeah, and and I hope that people, you know, people are. If they haven't thought about it, can start thinking about something like this. Just all the potential that is there, and and I'm guessing that because of how how many more people are playing tabletop games now, and the fact that we're calling it tabletop because and not just board games, right? I mean, the, yeah, <laughs> I think I think that goes with um, just the 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 cultural relevance of it now. That maybe a few years down the road, people who are playing a lot and are getting into psychology. Um, and mental health might be thinking about doing research in these areas. Uh, that would be great. If this spawns any of that, I want to hear about it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I want people to either give us their ideas or, or what they think of ideas like that. Um, like the game, game prescriptions are just, you know, following up with uh, gaming experiences. Um, are there are there any resources out there for people who want to learn more about uh, board games, tabletop gaming? that you want people to be aware of? Well, there's a there's a number of things that I sort of focus on as my resources. Of course, Board Game Geek, which we've already mentioned. Um, there's also a lot, a few podcasts that deal with board games, and there's uh, the Dice Tower. The Dice Tower Network has a set of podcasts, uh, some of which where they examine how different game designers decide what to do with their games and how they choose the dynamics within the game. Um, others where they're just reviewing the newest set of board games that are out there, and they're constantly reviewing new board games. Uh, there's also a uh, website for a show called Shut Up and Sit Down, which is all about playing board games. Uh, and then there's just so many conventions going on. Uh, one which is coming up in March here in Atlanta that uh, I, I'm thinking that you and I are working on something together. But I, I'm going to present there on 
the therapeutic value of board games. That idea of just seeing yourself um, or thinking about your own life in the in the in the resource management games in the what, what was it called the games worker the, placement worker placement yeah like that kind of insight is just huge because then because of that I know this conversation we just had I'll never play one of those games and not think about that <laughs> you may have just ruined worker placement games for me Damn. but but that's okay <laughs> they're going to point out your deficits and you're going to think about your deficits and you're going to apply that to your life increase awareness exactly. It works, yeah. So yeah, Woody, there's so much to talk about in in board games. Um, like I, like we said before, there's just too much content out there to for any of us to really be experts. But I'm I'm so glad we got to talk about the games that that you do know, kind of all that insight that you can get from them, how we could potentially use them in therapy, some of these resources. It really is, like I said, there is tabletop fever out there, and I, I'm so glad we got to talk about this. And I'm hoping we can we can talk more about it in the future. Oh, yeah, me too, absolutely. And uh, if anybody wants to contact me about this, I'd love to hear about their their thoughts and their uh, ideas. Uh, They can contact me at woodyatthedividingline.com. And I'll make sure that everything that you talked about is in the show notes. Excellent. And how to contact you, I'll make sure that that's there too. Perfect. And, yeah, we got to do this again. Um, And hopefully, I mean, I think... The plan is to hopefully have something up on Geek Therapy soon about this, too. Yes, absolutely. At least, at least in general. Yeah, trying to put a blog together for uh, using board games and therapy. That's that's my plan. So, And we'll definitely be talking more about this in the future. So thank you so much for coming on the show. And for more information on Geek Therapy, visit geektherapy.com or follow us on Twitter at Geek Therapy. <laughs>